VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Gabriel Marcotti and I thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us. With me in the studio today, it's the excellent Julian Lawrence, who's wearing one of those uh, hoodies with the uh, thick, flat drawstring, the one that kind of looks like tapeworm. Um, Down the line, we have the Sunday Times football correspondent. It's a real privilege whenever he can come on. It's Jonathan Northcroft. Later on, we'll be talking a bit of diving in English football, looking ahead to the Champions League knockouts. Now, you may be expecting us to start at Wembley uh, in the North London Derby, but let's face it, nothing is bigger than Manchester United. Plus, we were just up in Newcastle last week, so we start at St. James's Park. And there's another reason to start at St. James's Park, because uh, joining us on the line is Henry Winter, who was, uh, who was there. Um... Henry, Newcastle pull off a 1-0 victory. Off the top, i got to ask you, how much of an impact do you think uh, last Thursday night's live edition of the game podcast when Rafa was able to hang out with Allison, Ollie, and the inimitable George Culkin, how much of an impact do you think that had on Newcastle's win? I think it rallied the whole city, the whole region. I think it just it, it just changed. It was interesting sitting next to George in the press box in St. James's Park yesterday. It was there was just a sort of queue of people wanting to come up and talk to George and say how much they enjoyed the uh, the uh, the podcast and the event. So uh, no, it's fantastic. He is like the Pope of Greenwich Village. Now, um moving on to the uh, to, to the game itself. I want to talk Newcastle for a minute in the sense that we heard Mourinho say basically after the game, well, they scored and then they defended like animals, but I say that in a, as a compliment in a good way. But it seemed to me like Newcastle carved out some chances early on. And while United had a number of opportunities, they didn't seem, they didn't feel to me like they, they, they really felt in control. They weren't in control at all. I mean, they had four decent chances. Sanchez certainly should have taken uh, his. He took an extra touch, but the Brevka in uh, in goal on loan from Sparta Prague, he, you know, he made sort of three or four fantastic saves, including from Young and Carrick late on, Martin Sial and, and Lingard in the first half. So, so Manchester United had their chances, but they simply weren't ruthless enough. And, and the debate afterwards was was pretty clear: Can you play Pogba in a two? This is something that Sunes had been talking about in the Sunday Times before the match, and it's a long-running debate. And I think there was a lot of surprise. Amongst the sort of you know the, the, the travelling Manchester pack, that uh, that Mourinho had gone with a two when it hadn't worked against Spurs, 
But also, ultimately, you know, Mourinho can set them up in whatever formation, and you can argue the balance is not right, and at some point he's going to have to, to sacrifice possibly Lingard to, 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 to get everyone in. But ultimately, these players have got to perform as well. Was Pogba injured? He suggested he was. Mourinho suggested he wasn't. I mean, a player of that quality should be seizing games like that, and one or two other players on the on the pitch as well. So, uh, you know, it was it was the sort of perfect storm of Mourinho's tactics not really working, and the players not being as ruthless and and as animal like to use Mourinho's expression. And I thought it was really interesting. He came out afterwards. And he said on television in print that it was all about Newcastle United players going beyond their limits in efforts and sacrifices. And, and that's what you've got to do in those games. Uh, Johnny, I'm, I broadly, uh, uh, not for the first time, agree with Henry. Uh, we'll get to Pogba in, in a minute because that's a big issue. But beyond Pogba and, and beyond the way Newcastle played and, and the way Rafa set them up, is there an argument to be made that Mourinho simply got the lineup wrong and didn't make the necessary adjustments. I, I mean, I'm thinking of of Martial over on the right, of of Alexis Sanchez maybe being given such a free role that, that he was popping up in, in midfield. I'm thinking of those two horrendous center backs. Uh, I, I mean, is it the kind of thing where, you know, it was just one of those days for United, the chances could have gone in, but Rafa won the tactical battle, if you will, and he gave his team a much better chance of winning. Yeah, I, I I think there's a broader point actually, which you could argue that the the United lineup has actually lacked balance all season, and it, it's strange given that recruitment and team building is is one of Mourinho's strengths. He's always signed well, but you have to say that United are in the same category as an Arsenal um, of being a team which is, is is really sort of top heavy in quality, and has been constructed slightly indulgently, I think, where where, where star forwards have arrived without paying any attention to, to you know, what, what's happening further back in the pitch. So to spend that amount of money and to still be playing Chris Smalling, Phil Jones and two converted wingers at fullback as your back four with only two in midfield because you don't really have enough quality to have three central midfielders. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a problem that's dogged United long term. Um, and yeah, you can fiddle around with Sanchez, Martial, Lingard, Lukaku, bring Rashford in, put Mata in. That, that's great. But I, I think you need, I think you need a different balance these days, um, in, especially in tougher away games. And that was just the, the story of that one again. I, I agree with that. I mean, I think we can talk about the recruitment till the till the cows come home. But I'm thinking more specifically though, because we in the media often get accused of of hypocrisy. Now I can't see. From where I'm sitting, I can't see you and uh, Johnny and you, Henry, but I can see Julian. Now, I'm going to put my hand up because I'm going to say, hands up people who thought that Alexis Sanchez was a good signing. And my hand is up. Julian's hand is up. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Both hands up. Okay, good. But the guy plays in the same position as Martial. What I don't understand is they must have thought about this beforehand. He must have known that somebody needs to play on the right-hand side and maybe getting your still relatively young and inexperienced Martial over on the right wasn't exactly a, a, a brilliant decision. Talk to Manchester United players. They've been saying, well, we've been crying out to buy a right winger, proper right winger, rather than a sort of converted one for, uh, for, for a long time. I personally, I thought when Sanchez went central, 
He wants the ball. He wants to make things happen. Okay, he didn't take his chance yesterday, but I think he needs to be more central. I know people talk about him coming in off the left, and I think he has played in the past coming in off the right. But I would like to see him central. I feel sorry for Lingard, who's been terrific this season, scoring big goals, big games. But I just think at some point, particularly if they're having issues with Pogba, you're going to have to say, right, Sanchez is the person who is he's, he's a dynamo. He does make things happen. Put him in the centre, and then you can move Martial back to the left, which he prefers. You then, of course, have still got the, the issue on the right, where you play Matter slightly tucked in, and I hope Valencia overlaps. People are talking about Sanchez as a problem, and Arsenal fans have been saying it's always going to be a problem for Manchester United. But I actually think he's, he's a potential solution there in terms of liberating Lukaku with that energy around Lukaku, getting closer to him and staying high up the pitch and doing damage, but in the centre. What Henry said there is right, I mean, and he's used the word being closer to, to Lukaku. Surely those United forwards have to play in a 4-3-3. And Martial, if he is playing wide, has, has got to be in a 4-3-3 so he can be closer to the main striker. Because when I look at him, I look at somebody that's going to be a number nine long term. Um, I agree about Sanchez, he has to be close at the striker as well. So that, that again goes back to the point that they don't have the balance right. Julian, there's a big Pogba-sized elephant in the room, unless you've got some elucidating thoughts on Martial. Um, please address the Pogba issue, and then we'll hear from Henry and, and, and Johnny. Yeah, no, just on, on Martial, um, it's, it's not new, though, that Mourinho didn't fancy him as a left-winger because he tried to sign Parisic in the summer, mm-hmm. who placed there clearly because he didn't want Martial there now Alexis I was told that you know he believes Martial can play on the right maybe not as well as on the left I don't know but I think he cast a doubt over Martial's future at United full stop and for Pogba again I was told he was injured and then Mourinho says he's not injured Henry mentioned it a bit earlier as well I think he was quite clear I was only watching on television but it was quite clear there was something not right about him in that game at warm-up as well uh, I'm not sure if it was right for him to play that game, to start that game or not, but there's clearly an issue as well between him and Mourinho, whether you know the communication is a bit broken, whether he feels that what Mourinho is asking he can't deliver, whereas Mourinho thinks that he should do more defensively and that he doesn't want to because the way he his attitude on the goal is pretty shocking, I think, okay, for a player Julian, of his calibre. So he was dropped for the Huddersfield game. Uh, he was terrible against Spurs. He was terrible this time. But I feel like prior to that, he had a string of seven or eight games where he actually played really, really well. Yeah, and I think... I think the, so, and the, the manager was still Mourinho back then. And, you know, it's not like... We're not talking 10 years ago. We're talking three weeks ago. He was on top of his game. Yeah. So what happened? Well, I, I, I don't know. I think the, um, the despite him doing well with the ball... I think there was always an issue in Mourinho's eyes as well and a lot of other eyes of him when United don't have the ball and when he doesn't have the ball either, especially defensively. Uh, Whether they've worked on that on training, I'm not sure, but there's clearly an issue there of what Mourinho wants him to do. And then we go back then to the balance of the team and how much that affects the balance of the team. But, But if that's the case, and if you're Mourinho and you say, okay, Pogba is, for me a key player in that team, then playing in a different position. And he's played him sometimes in the 4-3-3 on the left, like he was at Juve, for example. You know, he did well and, and did better. So, I, yeah, I'm just, right. I don't really understand what Mourinho is playing out in that in that respect. Henry? Well, 4-2-3-1 doesn't suit him. I think, didn't the, uh, I mean, Julian know better than I, but did, didn't the French have an issue when they tried to play yeah. in that position? Whereas 4-3-3, I totally agree. You know, you... 
you know, you create a platform for, for someone like that. Okay, he doesn't track back. Defensively, there are issues as well. He's, he's still got to learn that side of the game. But what he brings going forward, I mean, it's, it's interesting that you know what that press box is like at St. James's Park. You're right behind the dugout. You've, you're very low down, and you can actually see that the scale and the speed and the size and the physique of these players. And Pogba, is, he's just immense. I didn't realise quite how imposing he was. I mean, even he was up against the army, and the army actually got the better of him. But actually, physically in terms of his stature, Pogba should have everything because he's, you know, he's, he's no slouch. Physically, he's good. Technically, he's good. Tactically, obviously, he needs to sort of develop um, certain parts to his game. But I don't quite enjoy all this Pog on the time, sort of writing him off. There he was, sort of almost sort of sulking. There's a fabulous player in there. And it, he just needs love. I mean, he, you know. Well, 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 Henry, I mean, if that's the case, right? I mean, I think you mentioned 4-3-3 there. A lot of people obviously agree with that. I'm going to stick up for Mourinho for a minute. To play 4-3-3, I need three central midfielders. And one of them is Matic and one of them is Pogba. My options for the third guy, I can either make Lingard try to adapt to play deeper if I'm obsessed with having this guy in my team. Uh, I can chuck McTominay in there. Uh, Carrick is 100 years old. Fellaini's injured. Herrera. Herrera's obviously on the naughty step because in addition to, I don't think Herrera's particularly good personally, but... uh, he wasn't even in the squad. Is, is he injured? I, I, I mean, I genuinely don't know. Uh, he, yeah, no, he was, he was, he was, he was injured. But so the, what's, the spo- about, what's Mourinho supposed to do? I think he'll uh, he'll look at McTominay. I think he, he quite likes him in there. I like Matic, but you know, he can tire in seasons, and I think he needs a little bit of injection of McTominay's energy around him. But again, you know, this is, this is a kid. So, uh, no, look, he's, he's got issues. But I also think there will be less focus on the issues in central midfield, is, as Johnny pointed out earlier, quite rightly if they actually had a proper defense. All right, so let's go to that because I, you know, Jones and Smalling, we all know the story. They arrived there as, as sort of the future England defense. They were young. They were promising. I, I'll be my again, I'll hold my hand up. I thought these guys, especially Jones, were going to be really, really good. Fast forward, between injuries, between bad performances, I think these two guys have been colossal duds, and some of them is not really their fault. Um... There was a whole breakdown of match of the day last night about how terrible they were. Maybe it was even a little mean. Smalling on top of that with that ridiculous dive. I don't want to play the poor put-upon foreigner here, but you know what? If that had been... I mean, I I, I shudder to think how much they, they, they would have gotten the knives out if that had been a foreign player. Why are these two people playing? I mean, I know Lindelof is Lindelof and, and Bai is injured. It'll get better when Bai comes back. But, but goodness me, I mean... That would that, that that's ter- at some point. When do you cut your losses, Johnny, on on these two guys? I get it. I mean, I, I wouldn't. Phil Jones is the one that would tantalise me as a coach because there, there is a talent there, that, and there's somebody with great mentality and attitude, but has just stalled probably because of the injuries. Isn't really any further on than he was five or six years ago. Smalling, I can't understand. Um, he's he's been that mediocre for quite a long time. Rojo and Lindelof on the bench, by the way. Well, I mean, uh, Rojo is a loose cannon and, and, and Lindelof looks like the wrong player for, for, for British football, doesn't he? Um, he's still perming mediocre players together. I mean, Smalling, you're right about the dive. I also remember something, I think it was Rio Ferdinand said about him, which as a young player, he didn't really go and do the extra work. The 
the, the sort of development work that, that was expected on, in that Ferguson era. You know, the tradition of staying behind with the older players. He wasn't really into all of that, which surprises me because he's an intelligent lad. And, he and, and he comes across as a very professional guy, but he hasn't developed at all. And I don't think if he if he hadn't, put it this way, if he wasn't already there, if he hadn't been inherited by Mourinho, there's, he wouldn't be signing him for Manchester United in a million years. Newcastle and Rafa Benitez. We're in a situation now where, obviously, Mike Ashley is so wildly unpopular, not just in Newcastle, but I think with, with the national media, he's seen as some kind of, of, of uber villain for not selling the club to that nice Amanda. We look at this squad uh, that they have, and a lot of people feel that you know it's basically it's a championship-caliber squad, with, with some exceptions of, of players who are really overachieving. And Rafa, who I thought... You know, when he was at Liverpool, he and he was a bit of a polarizing figure, not because he's a bad guy, but because, you know, when you're a Liverpool manager, there will be natural constituencies who are against you. And, of course, he had the whole fact rant, and he upset Jose when the media all loved Jose, and he upset Sir Alex and whatnot. But now he's kind of in that sweet spot where I, I sort of feel, I mean, I'm not a Newcastle fan, but I find myself wanting him to stay up and wanting him to pull off what would, what, what, what's been build is sort of like a, a minor miracle. Is Rafa kind of very much in his element right now? Is, is this the sweet spot he's in? Uh, you're asking me? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's perfect for him because if you look at Benitez's psyche, he's always perceived himself as the outsider in English football. You know, the, the footballing establishment, the Ferguson, the media were against him. Um, despite you know what he did—the amazing achievement in uh, in Istanbul. You know he then come, goes to to Chelsea, and he's you know disliked there. There's always been that. Slight, he is a slightly odd bloke, but I just think in Newcastle when he's gone up there, and there is you know you talk to Newcastle people, and it's, it's a part of the country, part of the world that I, I I love. You know they really want to make a point that we're not isolated. You know I don't want to go back, get all historical, and go Jared Crusader or whatever. But, you know, there is that feeling up there. And Rafa Benitez absolutely chimes into that with his I'm an outsider mentality. If Newcastle people feel maybe they've been left on the outsides of, uh, of, of English political life, economic life, social life, whatever, then he, um, then he absolutely chimes with that. Plus, as you say, he has this uber villain in Mike Ashley to, uh, to, to, to bounce off and to give him even more credence. But even if you strip away all the sort of the emotion and the politics with Rafa Benitez, which you have to go, you know, which has always been there going back to his time, you know, dueling with club owners in Spain. If you do that, what you're left with is an absolutely outstanding coach who leaves nothing to chance, who is brilliant at setting teams up. We saw his, his impact at halftime in, in Istanbul with Haman and all that. Strip all that, all the politics away, and you have an outstanding football manager who still has a slight chip on his shoulder, and that's probably why he's so driven to succeed. Last Thursday night, Alison Rudd hosted a special live edition of The Game in Newcastle. Uh, you might have heard me mention this already. She was joined by Ollie Kay, uh, Rafa Benitez, and the legend that is George Colkin. The podcast is available now, and uh, when you finish listening to the episode, you should go and listen to The Game Live in Newcastle. Here's a sneak peek of Rafa. I mean, I think you're a, probably an obsessional manager. And is there any time that you don't think about football? And what do you do? What do you do when you're not? Playing cards. 
That's, <laughs> have, but that's, that's true, that's moose, that's the Spanish game. We have a Spanish game that is moose, M-U-S, that is very funny, and then we lost today, to be fair, I lost, so I was really upset. But uh, no, I like to play chess, but uh, now you play against the machines and they are winning all the time. <laughs> <laughs> And I play cards and then, yeah, I stay with the family when I go the weekends. But there were some, some lovely quotes in the papers at, at the weekend when you were talking about being with your family and trying to talk about something else and then suddenly you're moving the salt and pepper pots and yeah, doing 442. <laughs> so many times. My wife said, go away from the kitchen because she started changing everything. <laughs> She's changing the tactics. I prepared the team, 442, well organized, and then she changed the tactics and put... <laughs> <laughs> it's killing me. So we lose because that. So. <laughs> now this season, with your subscription to the Times and the Sunday Times, where of course you can read Jonathan Northcroft, uh, not just him, but some other people too, uh, you can watch every highlight and every goal from every game in the Premier League, Champions League, Europa League, and the FA Cup as well. It's just £3 for a three-month trial. Jonathan, I'm going to start with you. What was your favorite goal of the weekend in the Premier League? It was tough. Um, I mean, I was there to witness Harry Kane's header, which was excellent. I loved the Esquerdo goal. Any of Manchester City's goals could have got it, but but for me, it was it was Sergio Aguero's final goal, the fourth goal. Partly to avoid talking about Kevin De Bruyne again, because I'm, I'm running out of things to say about him. So it was the one goal that didn't feature De Bruyne as a genius. Yeah, I mean, it had a lovely run by Phil Foden. So you've got uh, that little bit of excitement of seeing a, a, a British youngster making an impact in a game. Um, and then he gives the ball back to, to Aguero. And, and what I loved about it was that I think Aguero is just such an efficient, brutal striker that, you know, everything's about end product for him. Doesn't allow himself much indulgence on the field. But it just looked to me like he got his hat trick, he'd done his job. And just for once, he allowed himself to to open up and just do something a bit more yeah. bit more flashy. I, the way he struck the ball was just fantastic. I, I, I'll tell you, I, you mentioned Phil Foden, and this is what I absolutely love about this kid. If you remember, he makes the run before, then he lays it off to Aguero, and then he runs into space, and he's pointing where he wants the ball back. And I'm like, my goodness, you're 17 years old, yeah. and you're demanding the ball from Sergio Aguero in a game where you're 4-1 up in the final minutes. Honestly, like Phil Foden doesn't need my praise, but I am so impressed when I see youngsters, especially in England, with that kind of of, of, of personality, of, of confidence, um, that late in the game. Fantastic. Julian. Mine is, is Mo Salah's uh, for many reasons. Because it's his 22nd goal and the whole narrative of like no one no one thought it would be that good, blah, blah, blah. Okay, but what I like about the goal, first of all, is the assist from Firmino. For me, it's a piece of genius and I cannot believe that not it's more... simple back heel. No, it's not a simple back heel. It's not a simple back heel. And I, I can't believe not much more has been you know, done and said and showed about that assist, which for me is amazing. If Messi had done the assist, people would be like, oh, yeah. But I don't know. I was surprised because for me, it's an amazing piece of skill that no one from the Southampton defence anticipated. No one thought that coming. And I just, I just think that was incredible from Firmino. And it's also the way Salah asked for the ball in a sort of like second striker role, which he's played a lot in compared to someone like Mane, for example, who stayed very much stuck to his his touchline on that left wing. Salah loves coming inside, even without the ball, asking the ball into that kind of space as a second striker, just below Firmino, next to Firmino. 
And then the turn and the one-two again, you know, it's the pass and move. And then you pass the ball and then you move into the space like Foden did with Aguero. But this time the ball came back to him and it's, it's an easy finish for him. But yeah, that's all I love about this goal. Going to the North London Derby. And by the way, I know I'm going to get stick for this, for putting this match second. Um, all I can say is the game was on Saturday lunchtime. It's now 48 hours later. Uh and Manchester United lost, so deal with it. There are editorial considerations. Um, Johnny, you were there. I thought Spurs absolutely mullered them until the end when they nearly threw it all away. <laughs> they did, and it was it was that stoppage time was bizarre because it was so out of context with the rest of the Spurs performance, which had just been so superior in terms of structure, control, balance, purpose. The first half was tight. Arsenal were more uh, compact and, and, and more sort of cautious than, than usual under Wenger, and it worked up to a point. They almost stole a goal in the last five minutes of of that first half, which I guess was the the game plan. But it was it was the way that, that Spurs came back out and just reasserted themselves. And, and, and you know, I likened it in my match report to a, a sort of power play at cricket. They it was as if they they, they just for, for ten minutes just just had two extra people on the pitch and, 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 and went for it, really pushed Arsenal hard, pushed them back, scored, could have scored probably three goals in that, in that period. I thought Dembele was just wonderful how in, in a tight game he just found time to get the ball and, 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 and create, you know, manage the tempo of things. Incredible, the calmest man on the pitch. And, and Kane did what, what Harry Kane does, fabulous header. On the Kane header, uh, we have this cool graphic in, in the game where apparently the top of his head is at 7 feet 10 inches, which I know, Julian, you're, you're a basketball fan. Yeah. I suppose if Manute Bull were standing in front of him with his arms up, um, he could have blocked that. His hang time is 0.72 seconds. I, again, I don't, I don't know what the parameter is there, but it means that's... Like that's Jordan-esque kind of thing. He's almost. just... Or Andy Carroll, you, oh, might, Andy Carroll. you might say. And his feet are one foot and eight inches off the ground. It's weird because there's a picture him here of, of Koscielny. And to be fair, if you look at this picture... Um, That's what bothers me, what you're going to say. He's fouling Koscielny? Yeah, big time. And I thought... And I, I'm not I'm not. Koscielny disputing. can't get off the ground. Because I was thinking, yeah. like, oh, look, stupid Koscielny can't get off the ground. And I'm looking at this and, like, his hand is on Koscielny's shoulder. And you can see the way his arm on that amazing photo... In, in the game the times this morning you could see that he's pushing down because you could see the muscle on his on his left arm especially I'm not disputing the, the goal or the win I just thought when I watched it live should have been disallowed I did think mm, that's a bit I, dodgy I, 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 I didn't say. notice it than live I'm just looking at this picture now uh, Johnny did you no not at the game no, not at the game um, I, I've seen it afterwards but at the time it just looked like a beautifully timed header I mean Spurs deserve to win. If it wasn't this goal, they would have scored a couple other goals. I do kind of wonder, I'm assuming it is a lot easier to go and score this beautiful header when you can sort of lift yourself on somebody's shoulders yeah. to do it. No, because the, the, hang, the hang time is great. But, but it's easier to hang when you're standing on something. Exactly. And I think, you know, again, I think Koscielny's positioning was wrong at the beginning. I think it's a great cross from Davis. And I think... On the other hand, Kate's positioning is perfect, the way he attacks the ball in the air, etc., etc. But again, 
it gets a little help that the referee haven't seen, so far enough, you know, and it's, it's, the goal has been given anyway. But he clearly gets a bit of help on Koscielny's back. The other little element I just wanted to mention, and Julian mentioned the, 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 the cross from Davis. Pochettino tweaked things just a bit at half-time. It was a great detail, but Spurs had they decided to attack wide throughout the game, and they'd been trying to play Son down the left and, and, and get him you know, behind the fullback. And after half-time, they decided to hit their crosses just that bit earlier. So it was, it was Davis, instead of playing down to, to Son, hitting an early cross. And, and they did this for 10 minutes against Arsenal, and every time they played that diagonal early cross from the full-back, it was causing havoc. And I just I love seeing a little tweak like that from a, from a coach that influences a game. All right, Arsenal. All right, we all had our reservations, or I certainly did, about Aubameyang and, and how the pieces would fit. I, I almost feel bad saying this because the other thing, Russian was Ozo and Mkhitaryan. They have this persona, Johnny. They have this persona as being sort of pretty boy, lightweight, no personality foreigners. Look, the going gets tough and they shrivel up and can't do anything. And, and I kind of feel it's unfair, but then in this game, they really did contribute very, very little, right? Right, yeah, yeah, but I, I, I feel in general it's unfair. I'm a fan of both of them, and, and, I, and I, I, I just felt in that game they just didn't have the platform. It's a bit like Manchester United and their forwards. You know, when you play El Nene and Xhaka in the midfield, and, and, and Jack Wilshere, and Wilshere just couldn't get up to the pace of it, which is you know worrying for him long term. Just couldn't get into it. Uh, and the other two are so ordinary. You know, Elneny's diligent. You, you admire him as a bloke. You watch him do all the right things, but he's a very limited footballer. Xhaka, again, there's pace issues, really. You know, close quarters, he just doesn't get the ball quick enough. It just hasn't, hasn't been that way since he came to English football. And I was looking at the three forwards. Yes, Mkhitaryan didn't really do his tracking back. He doesn't do his tracking back. That, that was one of Mourinho's issues. Yes, also drifted a bit. Obama Yang, he's had the full Arsenal experience in the, in the space of two games. He's had, you know, when they're on top, life's brilliant at Arsenal for a forward. You know, against Everton, he, 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 had, he had free reign. Against Spurs, I think he hardly had a pass in the first half. The runs were there. All that beautiful pace was, was ready to be unleashed and, and the ball was nowhere near him. So I've got sympathy for, for, for any, of, any of those forwards under, under Wenger because the balance just isn't right. Which brings us to Lacazette, who, for all the criticism he's received by some people, he came on and he had, well, I suppose, two good chances at mm-hmm. the end. He didn't take them. I saw a quote floating around from Wenger. Maybe you guys can confirm this, that maybe his confidence was affected by the fact that another center forward came in. Did, have you guys seen this? Yeah, I think so. I think I heard well, that. <laughs> what? You just bought another center forward? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm wondering, is Wenger sending us a message that maybe... Aubameyang was more of a Raul and Sven signing than a. No, I don't think so because I, you know, you he, he he wanted him in the summer, Aubameyang. It was really much between the two. And then can he, you tell me why he didn't sign him in the summer? I don't because know, he was, was only allowed to sign one centre forward. Yeah, they didn't want he didn't want to sign both anywhere in the summer. Okay. So it was one or the other. But now six months later, he wants both. Yeah, and this? I don't know if he thought. Then, oh, Lacazette like, was a mistake. It's a, it's a very costly mistake. And I don't well, think Lacazette like, had been a mistake. After four months, you're exactly. going to write Lacazette like, off? Yeah, but then it I, makes I no sense. I invite everybody, Arsenal fans hopefully will back me up, is watch Robert Pires' first season 
at first Arsenal. Six month, first first six, six months month. at Arsenal, how terrible he was. And then think of the player I that agree. he became. I agree. It's, it's, a, it's a really... And then you know what? I've, I know I've always defended Lacazette and I like him. But I feel for him. And I felt for him on, on Saturday because the first chance, especially the, that volley... Every day of the week, you take it with your laces. So you smash it down with your laces. Instead, because he lacks confidence, because he was there and suddenly, you know, Obama Young arrives and he finds himself on the bench, not even coming on. He tries to hit it with the inside of his foot, which was such the wrong, it was such the wrong decision to try to do that. But he does that because he's the safest one. That's the only reason why he tries to hit it with the inside of his, so the, the volley with the inside of his right foot is because he's the safest one, because he lost that confidence. Otherwise, every day he would have hit it with his laces. And then the second one, you know, I think he, there's an extra second or maybe he, he, sh he should take it outside of his right foot instead of inside because the spin takes the ball away from the goal. But the movement was great on both chances. And I really feel for him because I don't think he deserved that sort of treatment okay you know he didn't score for eight or nine games in a row before Bama Young arrived but I still think he's very harsh on, on him Johnny where is Lacazette's future is it uh, next to Alba is it on the wing is it on the bench is it in another football club it's tough for him isn't it because he's he, I, he's a good player but he's just not quite as good as the as the guy they've signed and that's going to be a are we sure about this yeah. Are, are we sure that he's not quite as good as Aubameyang? I don't think he is. I, I think Aubameyang's got the he's got the extra X factor, the pace, the movement. It's, oh. it's just that a little bit better than Lacazette's to but, me. But on which on which ground? They scored as many goals pretty much mm. in Liga and Bundesliga in the last three mm. years or so. Maybe it's maybe it's a visual thing, Julian. Just watching watching him on the pitch, he seems to influence and dominate a little bit more from from that position, and maybe. I'm not quite seeing the, the the subtleties of Lacazette's movement, but but Arsenal with Aubameyang and the team just looked looked, and I've only I've seen him twice in a row, so it's too small a sample really to make a big judgment. But it just looked like they had more of a focal point. To me, Lacazette's a more stealthy player, but doesn't maybe maybe it's that thing that you call personality as a player. Aubameyang seems to have more more of that on the pitch. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Love the game? Then don't miss The Game Daily. It's your lunchtime update from football's finest writers, and it's only at thetimes.co.uk. Okay, now Pochettino last week kind of set himself up with uh, with some comments, which he sort of later clarified. It was to do with, with Dele Alli's uh, uh, diving. Um, and, you know, he made the point that maybe we make too much of it. And he says it was right that if you get caught diving, you get a yellow card, but it's about trickery and, and you're fooling people. And that's what tactics is all about. When you're dribbling most of the time, right? Hey, Julian, when you dribble, what do you do? You fake one way, you trick the guy by making it, and then you go the other way. Yeah. Sometimes you even sneak here, you put the ball through his legs. You, yeah. you know, how is that different than diving? That's not cheating. Dribbling is not cheating. Diving is cheating. It's as simple as that. That's all. Doing a step over and making, you know, you defender believe you're going to go right and go left. That's not cheating. Diving That's different is from cheating. making the referee believe that you've been kicked when you haven't been kicked. Yeah. What's the difference? That's cheating because you haven't been kicked. No, and you also should pretend like you're going left and you I'm being silly. Now. I, know you I are. completely agree with you. And to me the main distinction, Johnny, is that it's okay to try to fool your opponent because he's your opponent. That's the guy you're playing against, right? But when you dive, you're f- trying to fool the referee who's not your opponent. He's the guy who's there to help you play the game. And that's kind of why I have a problem with it and why there's a slight disconnect there i i think uh, am, am i wrong no agreed i mean there is a there is a gray area of of and this is maybe where it comes back to being a bit like dribbling where you fool the opponent into fouling you or into making a slight foul on you you know the classic one being the the drawing the goalkeeper into a dive and 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 getting the ball first and, and he makes contact and you've quite legitimately created one a penalty that's not diving and sometimes we we say that is diving. It's cheating. I don't like it. I think the thing that Poch was trying to say, and, and it's a problem I've always had with the way we talk about diving in, in, in Britain, we try to attach a moral element to it. We're, we're terrible for trying to attach moral elements to, I don't know, sporting actions. You know, there's that one in football where you can't, quote-unquote, humiliate an opponent as if it's, I mean, you know, if you used a bit of skill to embarrass a guy, to me that's fair game. We we talk about the, the moral aspect. It's the same with diving. We... We, you know, we talk about people lacking in scruples, moral fibre, and, and they're just trying to win a game of football. I don't want to see it. I want to see it policed properly. But in terms of people trying to do it, I'm, 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 I don't want to condemn them in the way that, that I think sometimes uh, the discourse here wants to. And that's what Poch was saying. You know, I, I get what he's saying, but I think the line needs to be drawn somewhere. It's not okay for Dele Alli to do this even when he doesn't get caught. Dele Alli or or, or indeed Chris Smalling, uh, who did get caught. Mm-hmm. And by the way, if I were Mourinho, and I like to make examples of people, I would use this opportunity, gain mm-hmm. some points and say, ooh, what Chris did was really bad. He embarrassed the shirt. 
he's going to disappear for a month. By the way, when is Eric Bai coming back? He was supposed to be back by the end of January, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, they're they're going to need him in the Champions League, aren't they? I want my Bai. Speaking of Champions League, you just uh, set us up for uh, a, a very convenient segue because it's back and, uh, and, and we're all terribly excited. I just want to go through these pretty quickly. You guys all follow European football. Um, starts Tuesday night, Basel and Manchester uh, City. Johnny, this is pretty straightforward, yeah? Very straightforward. I don't see... I know Basel had a great result against Manchester United. Uh, Manchester City are in a, a different category and, and I can't see anything other than progression for them. I think that the, the City have even got the cushion in the league that allows Guardiola to play whatever team he likes. doesn't have to rest anyone. Um, surely it'll it'll just be a, a, a very sort of straightforward tie that will be over in the first leg. Basel sold their best player, the defender Akanji, to Dortmund just before the end of the transfer window. Just a few, sending us a message, <laughs> huh? Just a few, you know, a few weeks before playing City. Yeah, yeah, we take that game so seriously. Here you go, off. Uh, Juventus and Spurs also on uh, Tuesday night. I'm assuming this is going to be a more close thought affair. Yeah, that's that's the one really with the, the Real Madrid PhD the next day. But that's going to be fascinating. Spurs did so well up in Madrid, for example, albeit at a tough time for Real Madrid who were not really playing well. Juventus are playing really well, although they're not, as you know, gap top of the league in, in Serie A because Napoli playing as well. But I watched them against Fiorentina and I thought they were very good on Friday night. Um, Gonzalo Higuain is in great scoring form yes they've got injuries and, and Dybala and Matuidi well Matuidi for sure won't be there Dybala is still I think a, a big doubt but Matuidi probably more of a loss right now given yes, that, true. You know, the, the way they were playing without Dybala although I thought Marquisio did well against Fiorentina for someone who hasn't played much in the last uh, few months but yeah I think they look so solid so well drilled so well organised with threat from everywhere Benadeski I think is in good form I think it's going to be really really hard for Spurs but second leg at home in Wembley you know if they can play well manage well that first leg in, in Italy then they've got a big chance to go through and we get to see Kane v Chiellini and, and, and that's, a, that's a lovely prospect isn't it it's a really well balanced tie I, I agree with Julien and it catches Spurs in the, in the best moment of the season I'm more confident about them now than I would have been I know they had a great group stage but I, I, I thought that Maybe they slightly flattered playing Real Madrid at a time they were in such a such disarray. Given how Spurs have played since losing to Man City in mid-December, I think they've got at least a 50-50 chance. Have we got any now. news on Toby? He's no, travelling, is he? There was a very odd moment in the press conference on, on Saturday when Pochettino absolutely bit the head off Matt Barlow, who asked an innocent, Matt Barlow, the Daily Mail, who asked a very innocent question as to why Davinson Sanchez had played ahead of Alderweireld, and um, it was it was odd how Poch reacted. He 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 was indignant about the the question, as if there's some sort of issue there that had us all running away looking for for, for reasons as to why that touched such a nerve. So I don't quite know what's going on with with Alderweireld. Now Liverpool travel to Portugal and Porto, and uh, there's an excellent column in the game about Porto. And uh, this great story that is uh, uh, Vincent uh, Abubakar, who uh, who scored a ton of goals this season, didn't want to be back there. I, I didn't realize this until I wrote the column. Um, it's four, something like four and a half years without winning a single trophy for Porto. It's the longest drought in like 30 years. It's kind of hard when you're Porto 
not to win a trophy for four and a half years. Obviously, they were they were messed up when the the rules on uh, on third party ownership changed. That was a big part of their of their model. But you know, this season they're they're in serious contention for. Uh, they have some games in hand in, uh, in in the Portuguese league, and that front three of uh, of Brahimi, Morega, and um, and Abu Bakar, they can be a bit of a handful. Maybe not quite like Liverpool's front three, but it, it, how do you see it, Johnny? Well, Gab, yeah, Gab, I, I I read that excellent column, and I was I was I didn't know about uh, the the trophy drought either. It's that that that's that's amazing. Did but, you know the Corona story and him changing his name when uh, he was I in like- Monterrey? No, I like that, and, and also Corona is a kind of um, nostalgic beer for anyone of our generation, isn't it? <laughs> it was hot in the in the late eighties. You always have to bring everything back to alcohol, don't you? <laughs> I'm I'm Scottish, yeah. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. The the, um, the it's a good it's another good tie. This one, isn't it? Because with Liverpool, you're never quite sure whether they're um, they're going to keep those defensive disciplines enough to to give themselves. The best possible chance, and, and Port have got, as you wrote about Gab, is the, the, that really potent forward line. And, and the other thing I noticed was they haven't lost in the league this year, have they, Porto? I, mean, yeah. I know, I know it's the Portuguese league, and, and, and they'd expect to win most games, but it, it's a difficult one for Liverpool. Might be more difficult than they think. If there's a team that played with almost as much intensity as Liverpool, it's this Porto team under Sergio Conceição, who like Johnny said, unbeaten in the league, but have done really well. They're so physical as well and so intense against Monaco, for example, in the group stage, they knocked out Monaco with Besiktas. They were, they were outstanding physically, the running. They also finished ahead of Leipzig, yeah, which is Leipzig everybody's well. darling. Yeah, yeah. But the physicality they had, the, that intensity, the aggression, plus the technical aspect of someone like Brahimi, for example, who really backed to his best. I, I really thought they were a very interesting team and, and it's not going to be easy for Liverpool, like like Johnny said as well. When you know, when you see their away form in the Champions League, you know, this season, for example, where it's been a bit more difficult than at home. It's a very, very interesting tie, and I think Liverpool will go through, but they have to be careful. And finally, what on paper is is the biggest clash is Paris Saint Germain against Real Madrid. I wrote a piece about this for, for for ESPN, predicated on the fact that you know we often overhype games, but I think this is a match that's going to have really massive consequences. Real Madrid, out of the Copa del Rey, a million points behind in La Liga. If they don't win this, their season's over. And rather than the orderly rebuild that we were going to have in the summer, um, we're going to have a daily messy thing where they get linked to everybody and their mother between now um, and really the start of next season. And it's going to be chaotic and people are going to be calling for blood. It would be the first time in the 2009-10 season that they exit this early. Uh, obviously, they're the two-time defending champion, won three of the last four Champions Leagues. On the flip side, for Paris Saint-Germain, if they get knocked out at this stage, you're basically sending a message that there's very little forward progress compared to last season. Unai Emery, I don't know, his contract expires in the season anyway. I don't know if he's going to be back next year, uh, even if they go and, and, and they win the domestic treble, I mean, which others have done before him. And I think there's also a big financial fair play in, in implication. I want to go back to this boring subject everybody forgets about, but they may took a huge gamble in the summer. The difference in getting knocked out in the round of 16 and having a run, say, to the final is going to be something like $30 million, um, which, you know, can ultimately be the difference and move the needle for, for Paris Saint-Germain. On top of that, when they go and do have their 
financial fair play discussion with uh, UEFA's uh, club financial control body, you know, they're going to also project new sponsorship and commercial revenue and things like that, which they're not going to have if they're not on television. So this is really, really massive, Julian. It's huge. And you know what? On the, the financial aspect, you're very, you're very right. But the, the club even think it's more than that because they're the only French club left in, in, in the Champions League, which means that the money, the TV rights from French TV would be even bigger than if you had to share between two or three French clubs like like clubs from other countries will have to do. Yeah, no, but they're still going to you're still going to get that portion of the market pool. Yeah, but still also the fact that if you beat Real Madrid and you play, let's say, Barcelona or City in the quarterfinals, you know, they rise the prices up. Um, a lot of the tickets that are season ticket holders but not don't go as far as the quarterfinal of the Champions League so they'll be able to sell those tickets who are usually included in the season ticket for whoever has it. So they think that, you know, going further than the Real Madrid tie and up to the semi-final, for example, can bring an extra 100 million euros. All in all, with like match revenues, ticket revenues, all, all of that, hospitality, plus the money from the Champions League, etc., etc. So you go out now, not just it's a regression because usually you go at least to the quarterfinals. This time, you know, it's even more embarrassing. Two, you lose huge loads of money, which could be could have an impact on financial fair play. Unai Emery is out of the door for sure, and the season is over. They're going to win the league. Okay, they've got the two the two cups, but. You know, and, and you'd have to already find someone else for next season, et cetera, et cetera. And for the players as well, you know, what the Neymar situation, which is very uncertain still, you know, if you lose to Real Madrid and then Real Madrid put a lot of pressure to sign him as early as this summer, then you never know what can happen. All right, enough Champions League. How about some quick hits instead? Liverpool hit all the high notes as they win 2-0 at Southampton. And again, Salah and Firmino steal the show. Johnny, admit it, you didn't think Salah was going to be this good, did you? I thought he was going to be good, to be fair. Um, I thought it was a great signing, but but I didn't see this player arriving. The messy comparisons are, you know, maybe slightly over the top, but I can see where they come from. I didn't see that in his locker. But it's the it's, uh, consistency and intelligence of the way he gets into scoring positions, the the football brain that he's got, and, and just the, 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 the appetite to score. I just didn't think he was going to be this productive a player and, and, and player of the year apart from Kevin De Bruyne. Don't feel bad comparing him to Messi. I, I compared Sadio Mane to Messi myself. Manchester City beat up Leicester 5-1 with a bit of help from Casper Schmeichel's goalkeeping. Julian, you get to choose. Who do you want to praise? Aguero for his four goals or De Bruyne for his three assists? Which was more impressive? De Bruyne for me every day. I know, Johnny, you love the fourth goal from Aguero, but come the other three, even Gab would have scored the other three. Thank you. <laughs> De Bruyne's, especially the second assist, who else in the whole world would have taken that assist? You know, remember, he's on the left. Everybody would have crossed the ball with the left foot. No, he goes inside of his right between the two defenders. He's just genius. And you know what I find really impressive about De Bruyne? Okay, he's got the assist. I think that's 13 assists in the league. But you know how many second assists he has? 14. And for people who don't know, second assist is the pass before the assist, which is very often, especially for City, give me five more seconds, is as important as the assist because you create basically an easier assist than for the guy who crosses or the guy who put the ball through and everything. 14 second assists for De Bruyne is pretty impressive. De Bruyne, pretty special. You asked who else can do that. Um, he certainly can't do it on an equally consistent basis, but if you watch that insane Napoli goal from the weekend, oh, yeah. which I've retweeted yeah. multiple yeah. times. Yeah. Piotr Zielinski did it at least once. 
Everton look nothing like the side that got hammered by Arsenal last week as they overcome Crystal Palace 3-1. Johnny, what do they do differently? Is this Big Sam's genius? <laughs> they played at home, which helps them. Um, they played four at the back. They put Wayne Rooney and, and Tom Davis in midfield. Everton played like Everton again, and I felt that one of the, the, the problems that they've had throughout the whole year has been losing identity, rich owner recruiting crazily, uh, changing a manager's pretensions to be something different. They've been drifting, but that was more like an Everton performance, and Everton playing like Everton at Goodison are always going to be good. Another penalty squabble, Charlie Adam and Jesse, uh wasn't quite Cavani and Neymar in terms of star power, but it was nonetheless entertaining as Stoke were held 1-1 by Brighton. Julian, again, I ask you, how does this happen? And also, and I don't think people made enough of a big deal about this, so Charlie Adam is obviously rattled, the kick gets saved, he runs after it. This guy, I think it's Louis Donk. It is. Just absolutely goes and flattens him. From behind. It's an obvious penalty. Obvious penalty. Charlie Adam doesn't even appeal for it. Was he still too rattled because Hesse hurt his feelings or what? I think he was still too slow from the rebound, man. How slow was he after that I, rebound, man? The pace you're isn't really his thing. Like, you're watching, you're like, come on, man, go, 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 you can score now. And he's so slow, he's like on slow motion. And I think just for that, he didn't deserve another penalty, but... It's, you know, there's a penalty taker. That's what the, we talked. Do you remember we talked about it with Crystal Palace as well yeah. and the Benteke Milivojevic? And we're saying, like, Milivojevic doesn't take the pen because his name is hard to pronounce. <laughs> he takes them because he's good, at, he's good at it. And okay, he's missed, you know, he's missed a big one this season. But that's, that's why he's, he's, that's why it's him taking them. You know, and, and Charlie Adam, okay, again, he missed, but that can happen to anyone, even Messi and Ronaldo. There's a reason why the the, the the coach or the manager says, okay, if there's a pen, it's Gab. And then if Gab is not on the pitch, it's Johnny. And if Johnny's not on the pitch, then it's Julian. Not, not Jesse. Antonio Conte's Chelsea play Monday night, and we're recording this Monday morning, so we don't know what's going to happen. But I was struck by something he said. Um, something like uh, that he was a disaster uh, in terms of his management skills at persuading his club to buy him the players he wanted. Johnny... Is this part of a manager's skill set or is he barking up the wrong tree again? No, I mean, of course it is. I think the LMA even have a, a kind of section on managing upwards in terms of all their um, manuals and, and head coach education. I think you, you tweeted last week, Gab, didn't you, about Capella's famous quote about how he was good at getting people to buy him good players. That was one of his, his, his skills. And of course it is. And, and of course, Conte's played it really badly at, at Chelsea. And you look at the, the skill maybe Mourinho's had in, in bullying Ed Woodward into to giving him vast amounts to, to spend on any player he wants. So I wrote about this at the weekend. I, I think Conte's also misunderstood where Chelsea are these days. The, the, you know, if you look at, look at how spending and revenues changed in the last four or five years for Chelsea, they cannot buy the very leading players anymore. He's, they just he, can't afford it in their model. He, he's stuck on the Abramovich of 2004 and 2005. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, the reality is also that the season that Chelsea didn't, you know, Mourinho's last season, between the payout and the fact that they had no Champions League football that year, they took an enormous hit. Yeah. And mm. financial fair play is real for Chelsea like it is for for any other club. And the reality is Chelsea don't have the global fan base that Manchester United do. Huddersfield get out of the relegation zone by pummeling Bournemouth 4-1. Julian, would you like to praise your fellow Francophone striker Steve Mounier or the magnificent 
bald-headed midfielder Aaron Moy, who, I might add, could be back at his old club, Manchester City, and still do a part there, I think. I think too. And I, you know what? I'm going to praise both because I think, they're, not they were just both amazing yesterday, on, on Sunday, sorry, but, but this season, Mounier, who was very good last year with Montpellier, and I think was very good signing, if you play on his strength, is a handful for any, any defence, anyone. And he's got already eight goals, I think, this season, which is very good for him. And Moy is just, you know, a delight to watch play. And if you can watch him live, Believe me, it's worth it. And for any children as well learning to play football, his movement, his first touches especially, are something very special. So well done to them. And I, I think they, they might be able to keep Huddersfield up as well. Gab, one for you. Bayern Munich took on Schalke and the other Wonder Boy coach, Domenico Tedesco. Please tell me they were stopped and the Bundesliga title rest is back on. No, Julian, even a cursory <laughs> glance at the table would tell you that even if they'd lost this game, they have a lead of about 74 points. And for those who don't know, Domenico Tedesco, I think he's 32 years old. He's the other Wonder Boy because the original Wonder Boy is Julian Nagelsmann, who's 30 and not so much of a wonder anymore, given that Hoffenheim are in mid-table. What I thought was really interesting about this game was Bayern won 2-1. The only reason they won 2-1 was because the Schalke goalkeeper made two massive mm-hmm. mistakes. Uh, Farman is his name. But they played this 4-1-4-1 system where you had Lewandowski as a center forward. You have Robin and Ribéry with a combined age of 68 on the wings. Mm-hmm. And I'm not making that up. They are both 34 years old. You had Thomas Muller and James in attacking midfield positions. And you had Arturo Vidal nominally as your holding midfielders. Now, I know people don't see much of Vidal, remember him, oh, his hard tackles and he's tough. Yeah, he's very tough. He's not a defensive midfielder. He hasn't been one for years. He just wanders up the pitch and, and just whacks things. And unsurprisingly, they got cut out. They went a goal down. And you know what? This team feels to me like the kind of team where the veterans and the big names make the lineup, and they all kind of shoehorn themselves into the lineup. Jupp Heynckes wasn't there. He had the flu. His assistant was there. I'm sure Heynckes made the lineup, or, or maybe maybe Mats Hummels made the lineup. I don't know. But I, I fear for them because I don't think they're learning anything right now. And the one other thing, we've all talked about polarization and, and teams destroying the rest of the league. This is not a good Bayern side this year. And we can blame Ancelotti, blame the club, or whatever. And yet they have this enormous lead at the top, bigger than... than Maybe it's not numerically bigger, but it certainly feels bigger than what Barcelona and City have. But Barcelona and City are really good teams with really good players. What's happening there is all the other teams, they're all inconsistent. They're all dropping points, all taking turns in second place. I don't know. I I, I don't find this uh, a good Bundesliga this year. And I like the Bundesliga. Hi there and welcome to The Sweeper. My name's Charlie Scott and I'm joined by Paddy Bombay. Hello. And we're here to do a quick run-through of our tips from last weekend and also looking ahead with an FA Cup weekend which could pose a few problems, couldn't it, Paddy? Yeah, it could. Um, it's, it's a little bit tricky at this stage of the season. We're looking forward to some blank game weeks, some double game weeks. These are chances to either get um, get a little tied over or get ahead. Um, and it looks like there's going to be one in um, in game week 31, which is just three or four away. Uh, and this week's FA Cup fixtures have a big bearing on that, as it turns out. Um, basically, every team who's in the next round of the FA Cup uh, probably won't have a fixture in game week 31. Um, so we'll hold your transfers for now for the next few days, uh, and we'll wait and see what happens in the FA Cup. We'll have a much clearer picture come uh, come Monday. And if you don't have your free hit chip left, uh, then you're probably going to want to start planning for that, because otherwise things could get quite difficult. This weekend, we, we did quite well, didn't we? little pat on the back. Yeah, it happens occasionally. Um, we basically, <laughs> uh, well, we told you that... Um, that 
perhaps don't jump on the Arsenal bandwagon quite yet because things are about to get difficult. But um, look to Swansea instead and some of their budget defenders and, uh, and both came out pretty nicely. Arsenal obviously struggled at Wembley uh, and lost 1-0, whereas uh, Swansea picked up another three points and a nice clean sheet to boot. Yeah, old Fernandez and Mawson did the job there. Ramsey having scored a hat-trick didn't even make the squad for Arsenal, so some people will be cursing that. What else impressed you over the weekend, Paddy? Uh, well, Everton and Huddersfield both found a bit of form uh, and just casting your eye forward, they've both got a nice run of fixtures between now and the end of the season, really. So there's probably going to be some value there. And then, of course, what about Aguero? Oh, my goodness. I mean, I don't have Aguero not at the <laughs> moment anyway. Plugging away with Kane and Aguero pops up and scores four against Leicester. I must say, I do think Casper Schmeichel should have done better with at least two of them. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> but congratulations to those of you who did captain Aguero. That seemed like the right decision. 21 points. So, yeah, enjoy. I'll be putting together a stats piece that will go up on the website later this week, so do keep an eye out for that. And we'll be back on the podcast in a couple of weeks due to that FA Cup weekend. And sign up for free at thetimes.co.uk forward slash fantasy football for your weekly fix of tips. That's all we've got time for today. Many, many thanks to my guests today, Jonathan Northcroft, Julian Lawrence, and especially Henry Winter. Remember, it's just £3 for a three-month trial. Just search The Times online. Uh, And this season, if you do that, you not only get our excellent content here at The Times, you also get The Sunday Times, which has some very good content apart from Jonathan Northcroft. You might think he's the only reason to read The Sunday Times. Well, you're wrong. Now, we're going to be back next Monday after the FA Cup fifth round weekend, and it doesn't get much more magical than the mighty Rochdale and their lovely pitch against Tottenham Hotspur. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.